Hi, Kings, Queens, and Lords at the Internet. Welcome back. I know. Yeah, I, I don't. Hmm. I'm thinking about I haven't updated my cover art yet. I may or may not. I don't know. That was just a random thought. Sorry. Anyways, welcome back. Um, today I'm going to be talking about a book that me and my cousin just read. It's called They Both Die at the End by Alan Silvera. This, this is going to be just an episode of me just talking about the book. Um, kind of going in some detail, but overall just talking about pretty much how much I love the book. Pretty much. Um, and yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So further ado, let's get into it. So one of the things I wanted to talk about first with the book is that this has been the first book I actually picked up like an actual physical book. I know I talked about this before, but the last book I actually physically picked up and read was Vs for Villain. And who, let me look at the author. Who's the author that V is for villain? And then I'm, and I'm gonna look up. People gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" V is for villain. Let's see. By Peter Moore. Yes. <sighs> Such a good book. It really is a good book. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. Now we're talking about an, another book. And this book will make you cry. It's called They Both Die at the End. And I'm gonna read the back of the book the summary it says we here our last friend inc are collectively sorry for this loss of you our deepest sympathies extend to those who love you and those who will never meet you we hope you find a new friend of value to spend your final hours with today on september 5th a little after midnight death cast calls mateo torres and rufus emeterio emeterio i hope i pronounced the last name right i'm sorry to deliver some bad news they're going to die in less than 24 hours Mateo and Rufus are total strangers, but for different reasons, they both look, they're both looking to make a new friend on their end day. The good news is there's an app for that. It's called Last Friend. And through it, Rufus and Mateo meet up for one final epic adventure to live a lifetime in a single day. This book has got me to tear up. I cried at one point. It will rip your heart out. And I wanted to talk about the book because... Like I said, it's been the first physical book I actually picked up. And looking through Alan Silvera's website, where, where it looks like the other books he's written and stuff, he has a niche for basically writing about not just LGBT relationships, but also just grief and death. <laughs> grief and death seems to be a good, like just a big thing in his books. Um, I know he's, I'm not sure about his Infinity Cycle books. I haven't read any of his other books yet. Yeah, this is the first one I've read. I know he has other books called, like the Infinity Cycle, like Infinity Sun, Infinity Reaper. Um, I know he has the prequel for this one. The, they both die at the end. Um, the prequel is called um, The First to Die at the End. And then there, I think there's like two other books he's written. I want to read his other books. I'm actually really fascinated with this author. I think they've written about death in a way that is really nice. I just overview of just overview wise. The book is just, it's, I think it hits so hard because it's enough fantasy, but it's, it's not like a full fantasy or fictional world. And just, just in case I forgot to put it in earlier, spoilers from here on out, I'm going to be talking about a lot of details in the book. I'm not going to speak about every tiny nitty gritty detail, but I'm going to be speaking pretty much about a lot of details in the book 
including the ending, of course, even though it's right in the title itself. I'm going to be talking about everything. So if you haven't read it, please go read it. It's really awesome. Um, I know one question I did I did look up was should you read the prequel first for the the you know the main book because I was trying to figure that out. It's it makes more sense to I feel like because I haven't read the prequel yet. I may do another episode when I finally get my my hands on the prequel and read it. But so far I feel like this book does a good job of giving you a good a good hit. Like I feel like. I feel like the way, even the way prequels even are written, they're kind of written to like, you have to read the main book first because the prequel is supposed to answer questions by the main book. You know, it's supposed to be kind of written like that. I don't know. But anyways, get into it. Ooh, so basically we have two main characters, Mateo and Rufus. We introduced them by two different ways. You know, Mateo's kind of like the shut-in. You know, he basically like, a social anxiety ridden, you know, he just likes to stay in his house, you know, he kind of is in, he was, um, by the time we are introduced to him, he's kind of in sexual online college, um, he doesn't really post too much on his social media, he's kind of a loner, he has his dad, which we recognized in a coma for the past two weeks when we first introduced to him, and his best friend Lydia with her, with her daughter, and that's kind of it. He doesn't really have a huge so- social circle. That's kind of it. He's kind of living in this apartment with his dad. That well, dad's in the hospital at the point, but he's kind of living in this one apartment, and he's kind of alone. We are he we are introduced to when he gets his death call, and I think if I'm correct, the book says that he when was the time? 12:22 a.m. So pretty much a little bit after midnight, and for those who and basically the book goes by timestamps. I think that was one thing I did like as well. I know that I'm going a little all over the place with this, but bear with me. And people who have listened to my episodes before they know I go all over the place with this. But basically I like the fact that there's no like chapter one, chapter two. They go by timestamps. Because when they get this call they're basically they're basically um death cast, which is what it is basically the company that calls everyone saying, "Hey, you're going to die by, uh, before the before the day ends." Just letting you know, and they call it between midnight and three o'clock in the morning. What you think about as kind of a a weird time. I think the time range, but at the same time, it makes sense because like we wanted to call you as soon as possible, like early as possible, you can make the most of however time you have left. And they just tell you that they're, you're dying within the next with it before the day ends, within the next twenty four hours, you're going to die. And it makes sense, but I think it was really exciting to see how Mateo just, he, like, he, I saw myself Mateo, I'm not gonna lie, I saw myself Mateo, and I was like, I'm a shut-in, I'm a person who likes to just sit in my house and just not do much, you know, at least he went to online college, I didn't even try to really go into a college, I feel like he just, I saw myself more in him, um, it was just it was just nice to see, you know. But when he got the call, we introduced another character who just calls him by a different name multiple times. I think called him like Matthew or something. And he is thinking, Oh my gosh, like, whew, they just got the wrong number. And like, oh no, I'm talking about you. I'm sorry, Mateo. And it's like, Wow, girl, really? But he's upset, obviously, but he's like, not to figure what I'm gonna do for on my end day is what they call it. Basically the the last day. 
So that's where we're introduced. Then we're introduced to Rufus. Now we're introduced to Rufus at around one o'clock in the morning. And he, of course, you meet him under very under ideal circumstances. He's beaten a guy named Peck. He, he's beating his face in because he's run smack, talking about him, talking about how he's unlovable and plenty of other things that probably aren't, really aren't true because he's dating his ex and he's being faced in, in an elementary school parking lot when he gets the call. Now he's like, shoot, <laughs> like, ooh, this is going to be a bit hard, you know? But, yeah, that's when we're, we're kind of interested in one of those circumstances. Now, when I first heard that, I was like, okay, so I'm thinking back because, like, other people listen to my podcast before, or my little audio journal. I like call, call this my audio journal sometimes while I talk to people. Anyways, it's like we're meeting them on under under ideal circumstances. And I feel like I've thought, thought about some like wild past stories and stuff where like you're meeting a character that's definitely like a rougher past or like it's definitely more rough around the edges. Not exactly like an like not exactly a butthole, not exactly an a-hole, but they're definitely just like rough around the edges. They're they're not bad person, but they do need some work to kind of just like understand that life is not how they think it is, you know? And that's how I meet Rufus. Rufus is not a bad person. Um, and I do want to talk about just the characters in general. And I, it's just, it's such a good book. I, I'm going to keep gushing over this. It's such a good book. The book made me, like I said, made me tear up, made me cry at one point. And I think one thing Adam does, which I think kind of, I remember the, while, I was re, while I was reading, I was like, he's trying to crush every bit of hope I have, which was the characters themselves um, Rantino and Rufus, because they do meet together after a bit, around 3 o'clock in the morning, after jumping on the app called Last Friend. And basically, they decide to meet up together. And like, they're now the last friends. They're going to kind of just live the rest of their day doing whatever they can, you know, before they eventually, you know, they both die. But they're like, hey, we're going to kind of do what I need to do. Um, Rufus, on the way Mateo meets him, Mateo's like, I need to find a way to get out of this house. You know, I've kind of lived, I live in this house. It's been a prison off my sanctuary. I, I need to leave. I want to, you know, he had things he wanted to do on his last day. But he kind of needs someone to help kind of just push him out, just push him even out his front door, pretty much. And that's basically why he's on that. Rufus, on the other hand, he had his friends, which he, what the group name was called the Plutos, mainly because Pluto, remember, has been pretty much diminished from a plant to a dwarf plant, then kind of diminished to just a random... Now we just call it just a random rock that's kind of fell into orbit some kind of way, which is really upsetting, but whatever. And his friends are Malcolm and Tugo? Tigo? I, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Tigo and Amy. They're just, they're called, they're like the Plutos. They're all pretty much foster kids at this point, living with two other, with their foster parents. Amy isn't, she's living with, I think, her aunt or grandmother, if I'm correct, at this point in the story. And Rufus, basically, when he gets called after beating him, Peck in the face, goes home. Peck somehow gets in touch with Amy, tells her what happened. They basically confront him at his house. Amy, he already told Amy, hey, it's my end day. I just got the call. Just meet me up, okay? So he tells his foster parents. Everyone basically gets together and does, like, a funeral. And now, in this set point, which you think about, I'm going to talk about later, but basically, like, think about this world that they, that Adam created is like a very, very close to parallel world of our own because it's not so different. It's just 
slightly different ones like man you can actually probably imagine if death counts was a thing like life how life would be kind of how this book is and basically funerals kind of also can happen basically before someone dies you know everyone's been saying hey we're gonna miss you you are a good person all that stuff is basically said before they die because it's their last day they're not gonna hear it when when they're dead they're gonna hear it now and basically peck is there because like because he basically followed amy to his to the house and basically, Peck calls the police on Rufus because, hey, Rufus and his friends were the ones who just beat him up, even though it was mainly just Rufus. And Rufus flees and runs. And his friends get arrested because they were trying to stall the police. <sighs> Anyways. So he basically is like, I'm alone. He hasn't heard anything from his friends. He doesn't know his friends are arrested at this point. He just knows that he jumped on his bike and ran. So he's like, I don't want to end up alone. That's not what my friends would have wanted. Let me jump on last friend. And that's basically after weeding out some people, they, they basically found each other. So that's how Mateo and Rufus found each other. Rufus meets him at his house, well, at his apartment. They go down, they kind of live the rest of their life. Um, basically meeting, they go to visit Mateo's dad, which still in a coma. They don't know if he's going to wake up. Um, we meet... I mean, they meet Lydia with, I mean, Lydia called Mateo the godfather of her child. Um, we learned that the her daughter, Penny, Lydia's daughter's name is Penny, and Penny's dad, Christian, got the death call a while ago and died in an accident trying to get back. So she's, so she did, so she was a little upset with Penny, but she, but she obviously kind of got through with it. Then they kind of, then Mateo Rufus kind of went on an adventure together, you know, make a moment. Which kind of sounded cheap. Even when I was reading it, I was like, okay, that sounds a bit cheap. Like, not the creation of stuff, like, not saying I'm kind of cheap this way out. It's, it literally just sounds like a cheap experience of, like, virtual reality to live a experience that is kind of just cheaply made in a sense. Which I know people will be like, do you not know how much time goes into VR and all that? I'm not saying that. It's just, like, the experience in and of itself sounds cheap. Like, oh, you know, you get to experience going skydiving which you know you just jump off a board six feet in the air and just kind of like just pretend you're just flying down you know like that doesn't really give the same thrill as the actual skydiving probably you know and it's just it's just one of those things where they was like it was kind of cheap but whatever they uh rufus took a diner they what was it what, what else they do i know they met up with lydia um to go to do the world tour um they went <laughs> Even after jumping and everything, they went to this underground club called Clint's Graveyard where they finally got together. Tay and Rufus finally got together. They finally had their kiss and everything. It was finally like, thank the Lord of the heavens. <laughs> it was like, I was like, I'm waiting. And Rufus was just like, his look, his guitar was on point, okay? He was like, mm-hmm. Like, like Mateo was trying to avoid it, but... Rufus knew. Rufus knew. He knew he was away from Mateo making a move. And Mateo finally made his move. It was so sad. Then but then Peck came back. It was a lot. A lot happened. Because Peck decided to be a vengeful person. I was talking to my cousin. I was like, I want him to trip over in a field of knives and set him on fire. But that's just how I felt. You know? Because how dare you act that way knowing this person's going to die. But you still call the police on which I think most people can understand. Like legally, yeah, everyone's kind of, like, everyone can understand where he came from. Like he wants some form of justice, 
But the police, everyone knows that he's a Decker. Is what they call people in the universe that are, are going to die. These people are going to die. So these are people who know they're going to live the last day. The police know they're kind of like he's probably not going to cause much trouble. <laughs> you know, probably also they probably heard the situation as well. So they're like, it's probably not that big of a deal. Just let him go. He's he's not going to make it by the end of the day. You know, death cast has never been wrong. And that's the thing. A lot of people, that's one of the questions that has been asked in the book. Because it's like, how does death cast know? Like, how do you guys know when someone's going to die? Which some of the theories I think was made in the book was like a calendar from the future maybe. Or legit psychics who can tell when someone's actually going to die. You know, the day of. And things of that nature. Um, We know that they're... It was just... It was a lot. I'm trying to stall because the ending was so bad. But I think it's because the the romance was getting so good. And it wasn't even like a romance of like, oh, like when you read the book, it's like this, this, like everything that happened in this book usually would have taken weeks and not months to get to in real life or in any other book, Wi-Fi store, whatever may have you. Like it would took weeks and months to get there. This happened literally within 24 hours of them meeting together, becoming friends, best of friends becoming a couple within the last couple of hours together it was so tragic because like you would think like because peck had a gun him like he was about to shoot them okay like you thinking oh like this is gonna be it like this is literally going to be it for them they're not like they're not gonna survive this which personally i feel like that was the thing like peck was the main antagonist and i feel like when you read the book i feel like that's kind of the ending he was i feel like i feel like that's the thing without him in this book before I talk about endings, the fact that he didn't, he played by the rules of the book. Um, if you buy the book, I know about the Barnes Noble, I know that there are different versions that have like different, um, like additional chapters and other things in the book. I know if some do, but um, I know, and I feel like with this, with this story, I know Adam even said it in um, the little essay he has in the back, basically saying, I'm not reading verbatim, but basically off memory, he basically says that he didn't he didn't he didn't fake the story, you know, he didn't cheat anyone out of the experience of the story, you know. When he announced it, people were like, How how are you gonna spoil the ending at you know, with the title? But the title did explain kind of how the experience would go throughout the book. It was just so sad. Because I feel like even with Peck Lab, I feel like that was the one thing that was a twist. Like there was no giant twist. I know he said that with his first two books, which I'm from correct is um more happy than not in what was his other book it was more happy than not in history's all you left me which are other two books and i'll say this it was one of those things where i'm like i i read it and i was like like i didn't read his other, other books yet i do want to i haven't gotten to it yet but um what did i say basically the other ones he say has major twists this one just didn't he played by the rules he did everything. He even stuck to the ending, which is that, like the book says, they both die at the end. So there was no surprise. And I feel like that was the hard thing about reading the book. The fact that there was no major twist. There was no so, someone calling saying, hey, we made a mistake or A, B, C, R, D. You know, it's just literally the fact that, hey, they both died. Okay. Like, that was it. Like, kind of just left with, like, oh, really happened. And I feel like that's the thing Adam did really well. But he did put a tiny twist in, like, you did, like, I did think, 
personally, when I read the book, that Peck was going to be the one to kill them. Especially when he's running up there into the club with the gun, pointing directly at, at their faces. Like, you really do think, like, he's about to start shooting, shooting them up. And it's like, ooh. But he didn't. He ended up getting arrested later with his goonies. With his, you no know, no-name gang. But... It was one thing I was like, okay, and I think it's that moment where you feel like this weird hope, where you're like, oh, so maybe they really are not going to die. Like maybe that was like their final way to cheat death. They finally found a way to cheat death. They're they're gonna make it past today. You know, death cast was wrong. And I feel like, and some and I'm gonna talk about that later, but I think it just talks about how much we want to cheat death, and you see that in some of the other characters mentioned as well. And the way they die, is just so so sad. And just to kind of just get off my chest and say it, they both go back to Mateo's apartment after the peck incident. They're like, hey, Mateo's like, hey, can we just go back home? I just want to go back home. Please don't hate me for it. Rufus is like, Rufus is probably like, yo, I have nothing else to do. I know you don't want anything to do. But they, he basically wanted to meet his dad, to talk to that one more time before, you know, the end of the day. But like, kind of go back home first. So they went back home. They lay down. Um, no sex. Okay, let me make sure that's all said. There's no sex. Um, I know for someone who reads Pop Wap out, you're like, there's no spiciness, no lemon, no smut, nothing. But personally, I was like, I think it was just, I was glad that there was none. Only because I was like, it's their last day. And they're both around like 17. <laughs> and I feel like they're just too worried mainly about just finally finding each other and just the fact that they wish they met each other before or just have more time together. Like, I feel like because of the emotions, and they both constantly were aware of the fact they were going to die. They didn't, there was no, like, we need to find a way to cheat death. It was like a fantasy book where, like, we need to find a way to take down death cats and stop trying to worry about our own death. It, they just accepted the fact they are going to die, and they just want to make the most of it. But at the end, though, like, they finally got home. They, they were just so happy. Like, you can see them just being, like, a happy couple. And... Mateo dies first, which I think was the saddest thing, because something told me I was like, I think Mateo's gonna die first, especially the moment Rufus was trying to get Mateo to promise. I feel like that was the first thing that told me I was like, Mateo's gonna die first, isn't he? And knowing a bit about Rufus' past, about how his family died, I just felt like I was like, Mateo's gonna die first, isn't he? I think I be before then I did think Rufus was gonna die, especially with the pack thing. With him being, I was like, I think Rufus going to die first. Mateo's going to see it. And, like, he's going to have, you know, some type of moment. I'm not sure, But I wasn't sure how he was going to die. I thought Peck was going to. But when Peck did, I was like, I'm not sure how they're going to die. You know, like, they're going to finally cheat death. But Mateo dies simply because the stove that wasn't working, that was alluded to early on in the book, blew up in flames when Mateo was trying to make tea for him and his basically new boyfriend, <laughs> Rufus. He made him like the stove explodes and he was right next to what happened. He he basically it caught on fire. He basically was caught in a blast zone. And Rufus woke up. He got he escaped after the whole thing is full of smoke and firefighters out are getting outside and everyone's outside. And he goes back and, and Rufus goes back inside, finds Mateo. Mateo just has burns all up his back. All over, all over his face, like, he basically was completely burnt in the fire. Not fully, like, he could still see, like, he wasn't fully, like, engulfed in flames, but it hit him enough for, he basically was out. 
was down for count. He was gone. And I was so sad. I felt so sad for Rufus because Rufus already lost his mom, his dad, and his sister all at once so quickly. And that was one thing I'm pretty sure he really didn't want to happen to Mateo. And for that to happen to Mateo that way, all because he wanted to do something nice for Rufus. You know, he finally changed, finally did what he wanted. He kind of proved to himself and proved to Permissive World as well, like, hey, I finally am able to to push past my anxiety and just finally live my life to be taken out so bad. And I felt so bad for Rufus. Rufus went and talked to his dad, to Mateo's dad for, you know, because he was like, no, I know Mateo wanted to. I'm going to kind of like abide by that. And he went and talked to his dad. He saw that Mateo left a note for his dad, basically saying, I'm going to live my life. I'm, I live for everyone. Love you, dad. You know, Rufus left a note for the dad to say, hey, like he did what he'd say he wouldn't do. I'm proud of him. You know, I know he loves you. I love him. We're, we're, we're like, it's going to be okay. You know, we both had the same death day, whatever. And he talked to his step, his, I'm going to say kind of father-in-law in a sense, and told him about the day they had and left. He was, the dad's still in a coma. Let me make sure that's clear. He's still in a coma. And on the way out, because Rufus had a recording of Mateo singing for him, and he decided to put his headphones on and walk across the street without looking. And I feel it's so bad, but the last line of the book, Larry says, he's, Larry says this, says, I throw on my headphones and watch the video of Mateo singing to me. I see Althea Park in the distance, my place of great change, which is in New York. This whole thing took, takes place in New York. It says, I return my attention to the video, his voice blasting my ears. I cross the street without an arm told me back. And that's the last lines of the book, last sentences. Which heavily implies, especially if you read um, like a couple timestamps before, that he got ran over by a car, and that's how he died. And that hurt so much, because I was like, it's going to, it, it was just, it felt so stabbing, because I felt like, I felt like the, the reason it stabbed so much was because you get, you get this point where you feel like, oh, well, he finally cheated death. You know, it's just so sad. But I want to take a moment to just go over just some of the characters in and of themselves and just a little bit more about them and some things I kind of read online and stuff. And also just what I'm just kind of some final thoughts later. But obviously, first things first, the two main characters, Mateo and Rufus. They, I, f- I felt like I saw myself more Mateo, like I keep saying. Mateo was just such a nice or person, but he was just so shut in. And you kind of tell he was kind of more sheltered as a kid. He was, like, he's not completely, like, shelter-sheltered, but he was kind of, like, he's he likes his own little sanctuary world. He's afraid of the world, but he likes to stay safe. And it was, it was so, it, it I just see myself with Mateo so much. And... Mateo just lived his life. I'm so glad I think seeing Mateo go from the shy kid that just that was too scared to just leave his own house to be able to just boldly just go out, even punch 
one of the gang members in the face, like, to stand up for his boyfriend, like, to do these things. Like, I feel like that was just, he, he, he grew as a person. And it's crazy because I feel like in books, these th- like I said, these things happen within weeks, within months. You know, like, it takes a good change for us to happen, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I just feel like it shows weirdly how humans can change so quickly within that period of time. Because the book feels so oddly human-like. When you're confronted with death, how much uh, how much you can change, you know? It's just, it was so good. And I think Rufus, Rufus, I feel like didn't have, I mean, I feel like, of course, Mateo had, of course, because we're introduced to him first, I feel like he had, of course, a big character arc of, like, shy, you know, shut in from the world to, like, I finally, I'm finally doing my own thing. I'm free, you know? And I think Rufus was the catalyst to everything. I feel like Rufus, he didn't change in a sense of personality, but I think he changed in a sense of, I feel like his biggest thing that was holding him back for the book was his grief. Um, grief of what happened to his parents and sister, which only happened a few months prior to the events of the story. So he was still very heavy in grief. He, of course, was trying to do things, you know, make his own way, but he was about to turn 18 soon. Uh, I think in the book, I think he was two weeks, two or three weeks away from turning 18. And he was going to go to college with his friend Tego. And Malcolm was just going to just chill with them until they figure out their next step. Um, but Rufus, I feel like his big thing was holding back the grief. But now when Mateo helped him kind of get past that grief on, on their end day, you know, I feel like that was this big change. You know, seeing his friend, his last friend, you know, just kind of just being able just to live his life if it was the biggest thing and just be able to just accept that Mateo was a special person. I feel like that was a good thing. I like, I also also like the um, representation of Mateo from correct is Puerto Rican and Rufus is Cuban American. So I, I was just, I was kind of happy to hear that. I was like, I was just happy that you see it when they make their profiles. I was like, I'm like, they're, I'm like, we don't have two skinny white boys nothing wrong with two skinny white boys but I feel like I feel like it's just a stereotype I feel like it's just a cliche anything that I just see all the time it's like I feel like it's kind of a in a sense it's a media default to default to a white character so I feel like to not see just two skinny white boys get get together and kind of gush over each other or I, I think the one thing I did like also is that they didn't have this disdain for each other you know or like this rough patch with each other if if you will in the sense of fact, like, in the other stories and books, Mateo and Rufus would have had something that would have pushed them away from each other. Regardless, it was, like, a third person trying to take one of them away from the other. Or if it was them just not getting along personality-wise or them getting together and then having a big misunderstanding and blew up. Like, they would have something like that, but this story was, like, just so much on the fact that they understood, like, this is our last day. Like, we literally have 24, like, we have less than 24 hours to live. We don't know when our when our death is going to happen. Let us try to make it work. And I think that that's one thing I also like. Um, another thing was that Rufus, in the Dane profile, I was like, you see it's a little early on, but Rufus, he was fine putting bisexual in his thing. He had a girlfriend. Amy was his, um, his ex, the ex that ended up dating Peck crazy I know what whatever but Mateo never put his orientation in and that was my first thought I was like my, my dude ain't straight 
I thought for good. I was like, I don't think, I was like, I don't think my dude's straight. I was like, I feel like too many other people, I think, especially who are straight, wouldn't really hesitate too much to put that information out there. Some people, I'm not saying everyone doesn't put it there is automatically not straight. I just feel like you know some people just they feel that they find information personal. They don't need to say that. They don't need everyone to know. And some people, you know, I was just one of the things where I was like, mm, I'm questioning the fact that you're. I don't think you're fully straight, dude. And you know, it never was fully. It was never actually explicitly said. It was never actually explicitly said if Mateo was gay, bi, whatever. But Rufus actually a couple times, I think two or three times actually brought up. He was kind of like, yeah, I think he, yeah, my, I, it's, it confirms my suspicions. <laughs> when he was trying to bring up about coming out, Mateo quickly changed the subject. He didn't even allow Rufus to even get an answer to that question. So it was like, okay, that confirms one suspicion. He's most likely ain't straight. And I think later on, I think something else happened. I completely, for, I forgot, but there was something else that happened. In the story where Rufus, I think, was kind of like, yeah, this complete confirmed suspicion. Like, he isn't straight, but he also has something for me. But Rufus, I'm glad that Rufus didn't make a move on him, like, fully, like, over going to, like... Like, he was trying to make him get into a relationship. It was, he allowed Mateo to make the first move, and Mateo did. He's, Mateo was actually one of kids Rufus at, at the club. And it was so nice after the little duet they had with each other. And it was so, so nice. Um, but that's for the main characters. I do want to touch on the other characters. The Plutus, for example, Amy, Tego, and Malcolm. They all basically have some, either their, their parents are not involved. Um, I know Amy, I think her parents, if I'm correct, actually were in prison for like a violent robbing. So she, so she kind of learned to steal and have a knack for stealing things, but she learned to work out to kind of overwork her urges to steal. Did you think about the thing with kleptomania? I forgot they called her. They said she did have kleptomania in the book, but she basically her parents were in the picture. I think at the at this point in the story though, she was living with her aunt or grandmother, but she did go back to Pluto, is what they call the foster home, Pluto, to kind of live, kind of live the last day with you know um, Rufus and them, because the Plutos were Rufus friends before they met Mateo. Tego, on the other hand, he had a deadbeat mom. He wasn't around, who wasn't on, and the dad left three years ago. Then later he learned that the dad committed suicide, and that was very tragic. But Tego actually didn't care, really, um, about his dad. He didn't share, like we were saying, he never shed a tear, never really looked like he was even sad or upset. Um, you do see Tego, I think, did have one part in the book. Where he had um, just just one big part of the book, um, one time stamp, and that he he even said like he would not care to go look for his mom and figure out why or when or how his dad died. You know, he just he didn't care about his parents like that. So that kind of gives Tego and then Malcolm his family died in art an arsenic attack because I guess whoever set the fire to his house did, and his parents died. He was. He was in um, Pluto. If I'm correct, Malcolm and Tego were in Pluto long before um, Rufus got there. I'm I'm not sure how long Amy was there, but Amy was in Pluto before she went to her aunt's house. Um, and that's kind of his friends. I do like the fact that his friends constantly were fighting just to see him. Malcolm had a little bit more than Tego. Um, Tego, I know he had ticks, 
um, not the insect, but like ticks, like how um, like like um, he would like a lot of twitching and stuff. I forgot exactly what it's called. Um, but I, don't know, I like the fact that everyone had a little bit of fleshiness to them. Like they, it wasn't just like a two dimensional character that kind of was mentioned in the beginning and kind of just thrown away. Malcolm, he like Malcolm was best friends with Rufus. He was like they're all best friends, but he was also more best friends with Malcolm than Tago. Um, Malcolm just was there for him. Malcolm was like he's a six foot black dude, and everything's like he's this menacing dude when really he is not. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like. I felt so bad because I was like, man, I, I I feel like that's the thing for a lot of men is not even just black, not even just black men, but just men in general. It's like being like a big muscular dude and everything like you're just like this threat. When in reality, you're like, I'm probably one of the most sensitive people in this room, and everyone's thinking I'm the threat. Like, please leave me alone. <laughs> um, I do like that. I like that Amy also. She had a thing where. She was upset with, like, she did break up with Mateo, not Mateo, Rufus. She was dating Peck. The reason she was dating, like, they knew, they had history. Not dating her, but they knew each other. They, they were school in school and stuff. But she kind of was in this middle of, like, I broke with Rufus, but I do want to spend my last day with him. But she didn't kind of insinuate the fact that she didn't break up with Peck because, I mean, if Rufus was going to die, she did. I mean, Peck was still there. But it was that other dilemma that I did also push some things as well. <sighs> Overall, I don't blame Amy because, I mean, she couldn't even blame Peck. Really, she was like, legally, yes, he did what it was supposed to be. But morally, no. You knew we were having a funeral for him. You busted that open just because you got beat up because you were running your mouth. <sighs> I don't know. Like, if you, please, like, like, like I said, I was so mad with Peck. And I was so angry because I was like, you went and got your gang back together grabbed a gun that you kept inside your shoebox just to go and shoot the guy that 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 beat you up because you're running your mouth and you know he's going to die it's like you literally just being a vengeful person for no reason it, it pissed me off Lydia she is Penny's mom Mateo's best friend and she's living with her Abby what Abby what Abby mm, with her aunt I forgot how to say it, but I think it's said in Spanish I forgot how to say I can't pronounce it. Abuelita? I, I know I know it's spelled. I I forgot how to pronounce. It. I was I was pronouncing it yesterday. Anyways, she lives with her aunt. She kind of is taking care of Penny. She's single mom doing her own thing. You know, <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, I forgot what was said about her parents. I don't think her parents really were mentioned. Really, to be honest with you, if I'm correct. Let me look at I don't think actually her parents were fully mentioned. If I can remember correctly. Yeah. I don't think her pen Yeah, she was living with her grandma. And she yeah, yeah. I'm looking real close. I I, I took a little bit of notes. <sighs> yeah. So it's not mentioned exactly what happened to her parents, but she was living with her grandmother. And she, Mateo didn't tell her outright that he was going to die, but she pieced together the pieces very quickly. And when he left, she was pissed. I mean, he she taught him how to even block numbers. 
So she kind of was a bit of a nervous wreck for a moment until he called her and they met up and they lived the rest of the day together. Um, another thing was Mateo's parents. I do just want to touch on it because Mateo's mom died when he was born. So he didn't even get a chance to even be around his mother. His dad on the hand, they said that he, I mean, he had a very loving relationship with his dad. He, he actually recalled plenty of good memories, even doing like treasure hunts with his dad in the living room and just being this really nice, awesome, loving parent. And it was so sad that he was in a coma. I don't think how he got in the coma, but he did get in a coma. Um, and he was in a coma for two weeks before the start of the book. And I think that, I think even Mateo's dad, it was just so sad because it was like, you know, I feel like it was, if I feel like that's the thing that I liked about the book was how the world didn't stop because one person's life was ending, you know, like death happened, but the world kept moving on and how there was no miracle that was pulled. I feel like that was the hard thing about this book is that there's no miracle. We, I think a lot of times when you hear about that, you're hoping that he'll wake up at the final moment and hear his son's voice or hear about something. But the fact that even at the end of the book, like he still didn't wake up, you know, all he had was two notes left for him. It was so sad. And no one knows if, if there's going to be death class call for him or for Lydia who promised to tell, you know, his dad, no Mateo's dad about, Hey, your son found someone on his end day. You know, um, it was just so sad. I was glad that the dad didn't try to be a bad person. I'm glad that the mom didn't try to be a bad person. You know, I feel like, I feel like it's kind of common for main characters to have like bad experiences with their parents to some degree or have a tragic thing, which yeah, these were tragic, but it wasn't like bad relationships. Um, Rufus's family, um, mom, dad, and sister all got the same call, got the call on the same day, literally on the same day. His mom, his dad, and his sister. And I was like, yo, how are you going to do so? How are you going to call someone like, yeah, I need, okay, can I speak to your husband? Okay, can, can, can you pass the phone to your daughter? Like, wow, really? So we're just, so we're just knocking everybody out today. But it's like also worse than Rufus's um, survivor's guilt because his, cause he's, you know, he's like, man, like my whole family literally got the call and I didn't get the call. And the way they die, you know, they were just on his way, I think, to drive by the mountains or something, if I'm correct. And their car flipped over into the Hudson River. And they helped Rufus escape, but they didn't escape. And they drowned in the car. If I'm correct, I think it was the Hudson River, but they basically drowned. And he was so upset. And I remember that was one thing, that was one question that I do want, Hope has mentioned in the prequel, which basically, he was like, they didn't fight they didn't try to escape they didn't try to you know they helped me escape but they didn't even try gunning for the exit they didn't even try to get themselves out they just got me out you know that was one thing that hurt him really bad he was like why didn't they try to fight why didn't they try to fight their own death and I think that's one question I do hopefully see get answered in the prequel is how does death cast know and how is there a way to actually fight death because if you think about it I think a lot of people will try to at least get out but the fact that the whole like his rest of him just didn't even try to fight. They just got him out and just sat there. Like, that is very traumatizing and just, I think it's just weird, I think, especially for him to see, like, man, like, 
y'all really just left me here, you know, but I do also want to touch on just the other smaller characters, um, because I do, that's the one thing I do like about the book is that everyone was connected in some way. Everyone either had a run-in with Rufus and Mateo. Um, they had some mention of someone else, even another small character that they ran into. Um, <clears throat> like Howie, Howie uh, Maldondo. He was a big author in this book that also got set, got the call that night. And, you know, it it caused a big uproar. You know, he was he was actually doing an interview when he when he died in a car accident because of Peck and his no name gang ran through and the car tipped over and they crashed and how he died. But of course, they didn't set out to actually kill him. They just were being reckless because they're trying to go and kill Rufus, being a complete. <sighs> Anyways, but how he had a big impression. I do like that, even though he had only one timestamp he did have a moment of just being like you know he had a love life you know he actually he actually had a girl that he liked but he kind of left but he left but she didn't want to be part of like the big famous life he she just she was like no I brought it twice so it didn't work out he actually wanted to be on the way to the airport to actually meet her on his last day um we see that how I think, he's a, I think he has siblings, but overall his parents, they moved back to San Antonio, if I'm correct. Um, they were just kind of fine as being distant. Not saying they didn't love him, but they just were fine as being distant um, away from him. Um, another thing, like, I like the fact that they didn't just like throw him as a character that kind of just, oh, he's going to die now. Even the books that he was famous for, he didn't write most of them. I think only one book he actually written. All the books he didn't write. He like a publisher kind of just asked him to kind of basically throw a name on the book. Like he actually didn't write any of the books he actually got famous for. <clears throat> only one of the books that he wrote was he famous for. And I think the Scawthorn series that I think was mentioned in the book was maybe probably some of the ones he wrote. He was probably had some hand in writing. Um, but overall, he was like he basically wouldn't choose a life of fame if he could. You know, he would choose to go back home and just live the quiet life. You know, he kind of wishes that life would be a little different. And I like that because I feel like, you know, it gives him a little bit of character. You know, he was mentioned in the beginning, but they did actually, but Adam did come back to him. He wasn't just a one-off character. Um, let's see, Delilah, she was one who interviewed Howie. Delilah, um, she got the death call, but she thought it was a prank from her kind of ex, they're a fiance. She kind of wanted to take space and, and it looked like she wanted to break up. Her her um, ex, Victor, didn't really want to, kind of ex. And she thought it was his way of getting back at her by having one of his colleagues at the death cast place call her and make basically a prank call, which is something they can be reported for and get fired for and probably get thrown in jail because why can't people saying they're going to die if they aren't? But she decided not to give any attention to it, and she wasted the day away just doing her own thing. She actually was one of the characters I mentioned that kind of cheats death twice. She was with Rufus and Mateo at one point. Um, like she didn't knew who, knew who they were, obviously, but she was the only way to get a book because that was the only way she was going to 
you know, sitting on this interview with Howie, with her um, manager, Sandy or whatever. And she got caught in the, and the explosion happened. There was another one off character. I forgot his name, but he basically didn't like the fact that he was told he couldn't, he, was, he got an injury and didn't want to stay in the ring. He didn't, so he couldn't wrestle anymore. So he said, hey, you can be a coach or do something else, but you can't wrestle. And he got to upset, so I had to do a suicide bombing. A suicide bombing, caught an explosion, and knocked Rufus and Mateo out. Nearly killed Delilah, but she just got a head injury, but she kept moving on. So they all cheated death that time. Delilah cheated death twice because she was in that car accident with Howie inside the same car as him when the, when the car crashed, and she didn't die. So she cheated death twice. And I feel like that's the thing with Delilah was the fact that even at the end of the book, we don't know how she dies. She just calls Victor at the end and is like, yo, did you do it? Did you did you do a prank call? You know, I got the call. And he's like, wait, hold up. Because he's actually distraught. And like, he's going to work. He's like, I don't know why. Like, he just feels everything's kind of, his life is falling apart when Delilah calls. And he's like gunning for the car. And it's actually late night. At the same time, Rufus left the hospital. And putting two and two together, he was the person who probably killed Rufus when Rufus left the hospital. And Delilah was just like, I, I wasted all day, I wasted all day. I, I thought it was a prank. But we don't know how she died. Like, that was, a, that was one of the cliffhanger deaths. We don't know how she died. We don't. We don't know how she died, but we know that she did. Because death cast is never wrong, some kind of way. Um... Some other one-off characters, um, Andrea and Victor. Victor, like the one that um, that was the kind of ex-fiance of Delilah. He and um, Andrea were two people who made the calls. Andrea called Mateo at the beginning. Victor called Rufus at the beginning. Um, they both kind of two different ways of proceeding with their jobs. Andrea is more of a off, like kind of like off person who's just like, I don't see these people. The people who are going to die, the what they're called, Deckers. She doesn't see them as real people. She refused to see them as such. She's like, it, she just speaks through her calls. So she doesn't have to go through counseling and everything. She's like, I just speak through my calls. I think a record was like 92, 93 calls in one shift. We just speak through them. Because <coughs> it's easier to speak through these calls and not worry about it. It's like, yo, but the money I'm getting paid can is paying for my, my daughter's skyrock, skyrocketing tuition. And she has cane, so she has her own medical bills and stuff. She's like, the pay's so good, benefits are good. It's easier just to, just for her own sanity, not to worry in, about these people's lives. Victor, on the other hand, is like, he wants to be sympathetic to some degree. You know, he's actually, you know, he hasn't left the empathy at the door. You know, he hasn't just thrown out who these people aren't people. Like, he wants to be there for them, but also knows that he has a job to do as well. Um, another character, another character, Dalma. Dalma was mentioned. She's actually the creator of the Last Friend app. Um, she thought because there was mentioned that there was a Last Friend serial killer that was basically meeting people on the Last Friend app and then killing them. And she, because of that I think she did want to take down the app, but she said, but she found that some people were having so many good experiences with the app. There are Last Friends. People were just meeting up people who just wanted just to make their last day worth it. Um, that she decided to keep it up. And she was actually, when we meet her, um, she was in, implementing, trying to get um, a thing made up with um, Facebook and Instagram, if I'm correct. Um, like the CEOs of those places have meetings with them too. 
talk with them about like, hey, you know, maybe we should do like a last, um, was like a last message feature if I'm correct. Basically a way like, so it's not like, oh, like here's a random tweet. like, oh, they're gone. Like kind of like, um, like the time feature, you know, how like you can um, schedule tweets or schedule things on your computer. Sometimes like kind of like a way to schedule like last messages and last photos and stuff to be posted because that's the way that a lot of people are doing. They're just posting things online for people to kind of remember them by. Um, Deirdre, if I'm correct, um, we meet her kind of one-offish, but she with the Make a Moment Foundation with Rufus and Mateo. Then we meet her again later when she's like, I'm going to prove Death Cow's wrong. And she didn't get called, but she's like, I'm going to off myself because she just couldn't deal with her job. She couldn't deal with the fact that basically I'm busy taking money for people for them to have cheap experiences. Like, it just wasn't worth it. But she kind of sees Rufus and Mateo off in distance. She doesn't, she doesn't notice it was them. <coughs> Excuse me. But she does notice, like, okay, they're happy. They're making it work. I'm going to, I'll give myself another day. Which is kind of crazy. Like, it, I, I just like the fact they all have some character. Even another character that you never hear from. Excuse me. Another character that you don't really um, hear from is another one that gets one off. He's actually literally only mentioned once. Um, his name is Officer Andrade. Andrade? I don't know how to pronounce I am so sorry. I feel like a lot of these names were, like, just... No, just like just regulars like here on a daily basis so I'm so sorry if I mispronounce it um he was mentioned at time stamp 4 32 p.m and even that he was the one that arrested uh, Malcolm and Tego but the thing is that even he he was like I have a, I, have, I have a pretty good suspicion that like that that kid that I guess beat pecking like he was like he's not he's he's not gonna cause any trouble so dark that's gonna cause trouble he had a partner who had a call. We got the death scout call not too long ago. And he basically was trying to save another person's life on the day that he died. And they basically both died that day. That's how his cop buddy and the Decker that they're trying to save died was through him to try to save him. And it was through a platform called Bangers, which is literally just saying, hey, Deckers, for the entertainment of our audience, try to find the most creative and unique way to off yourself. And basically give prize money to your family anonymously as a reward for whoever gets the most creative way to die. <coughs> Which you think about is so messed up. And we and that's one thing I like is that we would never have found this little bit of world building if we didn't have officer um I'm gonna, I'm gonna call officer A. Officer A's um basically perspective you know he's like this is what i'm having you know i'm having the foster parents just sign some forms to some release forms to kind of get the other two kids out because i just know they're not gonna cause trouble the decker that they were trying to save, save like stall time for is not gonna cause trouble he was like it's not worth it but he's like he's like my biggest thing i'm trying to get is shut down the bangers platform that was what he wanted to do he's like i don't want to get up into heaven meet my cop buddy friend just and try to, you know, sit beers up with them in heaven, knowing that I didn't do the best I could to get this platform taken down. Which, there's another platform, this was Last Friend, there's a couple of fictional social platforms that was mentioned. Um, Countdowners, that was another platform that people would, basically Deckers would go and post, like, randomly parts about their day, like their last days on Earth, um, as they're going through. So it's kind of like a live feed of their last day. 
<clears throat> until they just don't post again. You have um you have Necro, which was disgusting when I heard about it. Um, exactly how it sounds, necrophilia. Literally people not dead bodies, but people are like, Oh, isn't you know, I'm going to charge you eight dollars per day to go have sex with someone who's gonna die. Yeah. So it so it's definitely upsetting, but bangers wasn't mentioned until you hear the officer A's, you know, perspective. And I was like, that's a bit of world we will never have had if we never got his perspective, which I do like because the officer's comment just mentioned that as just being there. But the fact that we do see that he had a life, you know, he had something that happened to him while he's doing the job the way he does. You know, when he, when his buddy got the call, you know, they were like, why are you even coming to work? He's like, no, I want, he's like, I'd rather go out saving lives if I can't. I don't want to, I don't want to stay at home and not do anything, which is really humbling, really nice. But at the same time, that's the thing that took him out. I felt that was so sad. Because, you know, because, you know, there are, I feel like that did show that there are officers out there who really do take their job seriously, who do want to help. Even to the point of, like, yeah, I know I'm going to die today. Oops, sorry. I know I'm going to die today, but I won't go out helping people. You know, I don't want to go out knowing that I didn't do anything or that I kind of cowered away. It was such a nice moment. And the last two characters I want to touch on are Gabrielle and Zoe. Gabrielle is one of the people that we, we, they, we touched on very, very briefly. Um. And that's and Gabrielle and Zoe, <coughs> Zoe if from correct is the Decker. She actually was going to be the character that was going to um, become Mateo's last friend if Mateo didn't meet Rufus first. So Zoe met up with Gabriella. Gabriella was not going to die, but she's one of the few people who used the last friend app to just literally just be someone else's last friend. I like the two moment their the moment together because we see that Gabriella she liked she just she actually went around town graffitiing um like tagging the last friend app and the people she met um graffiti art on people on art and she you know just took people's last request and just was there for them which to me i feel like it takes a strong person but i feel like it's so traumatizing as well to think about like she's choosing to allow to know that someone's going to die no matter how they are but also to immortalize them in some way through her art, which is just, is nice to hear. And I like that. I was like, I was like the fact that they're one off characters that we don't really hear about. Like we would never really know they existed, but the fact that they did show up was just nice. Um, yeah, there, there, it was a really nice little thing to hear from them. Um, Gabrielle and Zoe, <coughs> It would been because it does actually, because the things that and he makes Adam actually makes reference to everything like um, Howie, um, the girl that he was actually going to meet, Lena. He actually was the one because um, um, Mateo and Rufus saw payphones that had Lena, please call me back, painted on them or graffiti on them, and they're like, well, I don't think Lena's gonna call you back to you if you do it on payphones. They don't know how big New York is, but that's the thing that like. They didn't know it was Howie, the big famous author, was the one who did that. I like the fact that they, that he referenced back to it and said, like, this explains that. You know, Gabrielle and Zoe, like, that explains to Graffiti Art that they see later, that Mateo sees later on. Like, it explains certain things. Like, oh, like, it makes you think about those characters. Like, oh, it reminds me of that person. Even though you don't hear from them again or their perspective of events, you do see, like, oh, like, this is how they were affected.
sorry, I need a drink of water. <clears throat> um, those are characters. It was just nice to see um, Kendrick. I know another thing I do will mention was Kendrick was um, <clears throat> part of the No Name Gang. But he was actually, I think during when the fight broke out, I think he was going to punch um, Mateo. Not funny, but he was going to punch Mateo. But he didn't. The only reason he, did, he didn't was because he actually remembered Mateo because Mateo was the one who gave it, took the shoes off his own feet to give to Kendrick when Kendrick actually got beat up one day and got this, his new sneakers t- stolen. They somehow briefly remembered and recognized each other for that brief moment. And that's why he didn't take the punch. And I thought it was like so crazy. Like, I think it was crazy how everyone kind of was inter- interconnected in some way. And that experience that happened to Kendrick and Mateo happened probably years ago. Like, it wasn't like it wasn't probably like oh it ha- that happened last week. Like, this happened a while ago. I don't know. I think that was one thing I definitely commend Adam on was the fact that he didn't write any random character that just never had any impl- implementation or any impact in the story even the waitress that we meet um at, at Rufus's favorite diner she even had a point in playing in the fact that she you can tell like she wanted to ask questions and be there and probably give her condolences and do a lot more than just give them just free food for free food for the day you know because Decker's got either get discount food or free food like they get discounts stuff like that usually when it's kind of confirmed that it is their last day <sighs> i i do like it and, the, and these are just gonna be my final thoughts on things um and things that i kind of looked up on, online <coughs> i'm sorry about this cough i don't know where it came from but i went on lit charts litcharts.com because it talks they talk a little bit more like go a little bit Think like how, you know how YouTubers, like, they go so in-depth and do, like, character analysis and everything. Like, it's, like, it can be, like, a 30-minute to hour-long video just of taking apart this character and the intricacies of their being and everything. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of like that, but more written form. Um, I read a little bit up there, and two things that come out were the themes of the, of the book that I didn't think too much about. One of them was the, one of the things was human connection and social media. Which, if you think about, like, you do have, it's still like, you know, social media does, is a debate that constantly going on of how good and bad social media is. You know, you hear so much negativity of how social media is ruining people's lives, especially teenage girls, just ruining everyone's lives. But at the same time, it's like, this book is showing, like, yeah, there's bad things happening, such as, you know, the bangers platform where people are literally just, for the entertainment of the people who are still alive, it's going to do the creative, most crazy thing they can they can think of to off themselves on their last day. <coughs> and, you know, that's a bad thing. But one thing, you know, Mateo and Rufus, they even had a conversation on it. And he, they are like, Rufus like, I wish we didn't have to meet through Super app. I wish we could have met under better circumstances. And... Mateo's like, but it was through that app. It was through this social media, basically, that we even met in the first place. You know, it was, you know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have gone out my way to do things if it wasn't for this platform. You know, that's how we met. So I feel like it was showing connection in that sense. And I didn't think about it like that, but it, but now I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, you know, it did show there was some positives to social media 
and the fact that social media is I think supposed to actually push you to make connections offline. Hence, I mean Rufus and Mateo could have been text buddies throughout this entire story. But the fact that they push themselves to actually meet together in person and to, you know, do things together, it was all because they met through an app. Things like dating app, for example. Of course, you can talk to someone through an app and video call them. But it might just be just completely better just to meet up in person, you know. So that was one thing I did like. It, I'm not going to read the whole thing on lit charts. I will just let, list the lit charts um, thing in the description just so y'all can read it yourselves if you want to. But one other thing I do want to mention, another thing that I like was it was talking about business ethics and dehumanization. <coughs> Hence, like I mentioned before, like Andrea and um, Victor's different ways of approaching their work. They were the same exact job, but they both had different perspectives how to approach the job. And just how it made me think about my time while I used to work at, you know, the cemetery doing paperwork stuff there. How it made me think like we have a full on industry. We have a full on just different aspects of how we monetize literally people dying. Someone's dying. We're, we're literally charging people to take care of their family members and their friends when they pass away. You know, to, you know, and all these different options and the way we're going, like, it's so much. You know, you think about, like, it, that shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't be charging grieving people and taking advantage of that situation to make money, which does show that whenever there's an opportunity for money to be made, people are going to make their money. People are going to find a way, some kind of crazy way to make money, which, of course, some people are going to argue, like, oh, but it's, it's you know, it's making it's making people money, you know, it's going to get, it's giving people jobs and stuff, but it's like, but obviously, yes, that's a corporate response, definitely a corporate response, but, you know, we see, like, how it's affecting people, it's just, I don't know, it just makes you think, like, <coughs> like, make a moment, foundation, um, world tour, like, they're just saying, like, oh, like, they basically weren't thrown off when people were making huge donations or when Mateo was just throwing hundreds of dollars at them. They weren't thrown off because they're like, hey, they're, the money's going to be useless to them when they die. But since it's the last day, why not throw your money anywhere it can be? Why not just spend it on the most expensive thing? You're going to die anyway. Might as well throw it to me, you know? And that's basically how it is, you know? But it makes you think, like, is it morally correct for that to happen, though? Morals and ethics, you know? But also new businesses, you know, like for them just to be making hundreds and thousands, hundred thousands, not millions of dollars off of people dying, just throwing their money wherever. You, knowing this money has touched people who are going to die or have died that could have gone to the families, whatever may have you. It's just, it's just so sad. Like even with the World Tour thing, like they're like, yeah, we asked, we suggested a donation of $1 for Deckers, but... For regulatory, it's a hundred dollars for family members people want to visit. I was like, a hundred dollars? Uh uh, no thank you, moms. But it was just crazy to think about. And I do, I would ever say, please, like, read more into you know, this story. Read the, please read the book. But I feel like if you want to read more into it, you know, you can go online. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have made their own little. YouTube videos and lit charts, but this is just my personal experience with the book. Um, my other final thoughts I had with the book, though, I remember when I first was midway through reading, I was like, I wonder, 
he wrote a prequel, not a sequel. And that, of course, made me think of, okay, knowing that the book is literally how they both die at the end, I just knew that it made sense, I guess, that there was no sequel. At first, I was like, why is there a sequel? But I felt like, well, a sequel would mean that someone in the story is moving forward. And I feel like your first thought would be, if you haven't finished the book yet, would be, oh, Mateo and Rufus are going to move forward. Or at least one of them will. And it'll be a different story. But I feel like after the ending, it's like, well, that's kind of the end of their experience. You know, what what else can you really write with this, in a sense? And I'm not saying there's there's no... I'm not saying there's a, a dead end. I'm pretty sure there's more that can be written, but... It made sense that it wasn't a sequel, but a prequel, because I thought like a prequel definitely would answer some questions. Hence, <clears throat> like, how does Deathcast work? That was a big question. How does Deathcast work? How do they know on this, on this specific day that you're going to die? You know, how do they know to call you? How do they know to make sure that A, B, C, and D? Like, how do they know? Like, just a lot more questions. You know, the fact that Victor, I remember saying, like, the location is... Um, is kind of confidential, so no one really knows the headquarters of where Deathcast works. No one knows really how they even function. How they, how do people know? How like no one knows. Even the Deathcast members that the, they call them heralds, basically people who make the calls. They don't even know how it works. They just know like if it's their own death day, like they literally just pull into an office for a meeting. When reality, like, people are like, we don't know if they get terminated or if that's the last day, but they just don't ever come back to their desk. So people can get replaced like flies, which goes back into the business thing. Like, people really, business doesn't care about you as a person. But one of the things I know was um, explained in the book, um, I remember one of the questions was like, why would someone purposely work at a place like this? And I feel like one of the questions is, I thought like the reason the question was that was answered was the fact that like the paycheck is really good, like it was so good money, so good benefits. It was just it was kind of just no brain just to take the job. But if you think about it, it's just kind of a hard thing to be like me, like, but your job is to literally call people, telling them they're gonna die. <coughs> Which when you think on a lesson though of nine one one dispatchers, like but I feel like with nine one dispatchers though, that's there from Deathcast where like Deathcast Heralds, they know that the person they're calling is going to die that day. They don't know when on that during the day or how they're going to die that day, but they know they're going to die. And now, one dispatcher, they don't know like after that call ends. A lot of times, they don't know what happens to the people after that call. They don't know if that person is okay. They don't know if that person's alive. They now, one dispatchers deal with a lot of things. They're not doing. There's no specialty now, one dispatching. They're just dealing with it all. <coughs> so that made me think of. Not only dispatchers, like some people, but like, how can you do that kind of job? I've heard it's a very psychologically draining and hard job to do, especially knowing that you had to remain calm and professional during the entire experience. Like you can't be freaking out on your end; you have to be completely calm on your end while you're talking to someone who's probably not in a calm state of mind on their end. So, just made me think of that. Uh, made me think of. The message of the book in and of itself. I told my cousin, I was like, he, Adam took literally the prompt of, you know, like how some people be like, oh, what would you do if you had X amount of time left, you know, before you die? Like, what would you do? I was like, he basically took that book, he took that prompt, took it to a whole nother level, put it on steroids, and threw it into this book. That's basically what he did. And I'm like, 
Dang. And only 24 hours too? Sir. Oh, man. It made me think of, I feel like, the, I feel like but we were talking about messages. Let me pull one up real quick. <sighs> Let me tell her. I, I told her I was going to make this po- podcast episode anyway, so she kind of knows. <coughs> um, and she's and she texted. She was like, you know, I guess the message is no one cheats, no che- cheats death, so it's better to appreciate life. And I thought about that because we were talking about how Delilah, like, she kind of cheated death twice, and how and how I think kind of built this weird feeling of like, oh, there might be a way for them to cheat death. But I feel like I I have a message about that. I think the, that message is I think what there was one that he was trying to preach in his book, and hopefully probably in the prequel as well. That there is no perfect moment for anything. So do all you can now while you can. And that's why, like, just like I'm going to be saying, I'm not promised tomorrow. Which is true. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people have that experience with their parents where they're like, you know, I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised another day on this earth. You know, that goes for anyone. Like, no one's promised the next day, the next hour, minute, second. So we have to make everything count. So I feel like, it, just like a bully, they're trying to do everything they could on their last day that they ever wanted to do, you know, but they're talking about if this wasn't happening, what they would do. And a lot of them, they just want to travel. They want to talk to people. They want, they want to do a lot of these things, <coughs> but they couldn't knowing what happened. So it was like, it was just hard. It's hard to deal with and know that the character we came to love so much died the way they did. <sighs> It hurts. It hurts a lot. And it does make you think, I feel like the book forces you to make you really think about your own mortality as well. You know, it forces you to think that way. Like, man, what would, like, I have to do what I want to do. Like, it makes you think about the people who are important to you. It kind of restructures your life, you know, in a sense. Like, oh, like, I want to do what I can now for myself. No, I'm going to do everything I can now because I don't know. Like, I might die tomorrow. I might, I might die today. <clears throat> Sorry. So, yeah, it's it's sad. It really is. Oh, man, I'm trying to get rid of this cough. I'm so sorry. But, yeah. Am I going to read the prequel? Probably. But hopefully not too soon. I, I would like to go pick up the prequel. It's out. It's, it's everywhere. I just feel so sad. I'm like, I'm not I'm not sure if I'm ready to do another heart-wrenching turmoil. Because um, I read the synopsis, like the little summary of like, oh, because literally the title is The First to Die at the End. <clears throat> and, it's based, and I was thinking about like, man, like, what else can you do with that? But thinking about the title and then reading the synopsis, I was like, oh, Lord. So, am I going to pick the prequel and read at some point? Yes. Will I update you guys when I do? Yes. Am I going to pick it up right now? No, because it's 1 o'clock in the morning. But, anyways, those are just kind of like my final thoughts. It's just, I love the book. It, I love it because it's good, but it hurts. It, it's one of those things that, like, like I said, I've read enough Wapash stories that talk about that themes of, suicide, death, depression, 
like just just overall like you know dark the dark topics. I feel like the difference between the Wattpad stories I've read and this book is that this book was mainly focused on the fact that they don't know when they're going to die. They're trying to live, but they're also so cautious because they know anything can set them on the path to death. And the fact that their relationship got so good and it ended so tragically was so sad. But I feel like the Wattpad stories I read focused more on depression and mental health side of things and not necessarily the death part and I feel like even those who death focus on things such as death it was no it, it would hurt <coughs> but this book just hit me different I can't really say why but it did hit me different so I'm gonna leave it there I'm gonna leave it there I I'm just gonna say this I appreciate you guys for listening this book just really took it out of me. I was like, dang, I was not expecting this book to hit me as hard as it. But I'm glad I read it. It was a book I saw before online that people said it was really good. And I was like, I might get around to it at some point. But I'm glad I did. Am I going to pick up the prequel and probably read more of Adam Silvera's work? Absolutely. And I'll up to you guys when I do. But until then, I will talk to you guys another day. Bye.